Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like-minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human-centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. What is it about visualization that you feel that the brain can interpret that information much easier? In terms of the, the kind of the psycho nature behind it, what is it about the person who draws it and gets it on paper? They feel like the increased capacity of understanding the problem. Do you have any thoughts on what it is about the human mind that just drawing allows us to understand things a little bit deeper? I think it's a really nice question because it has so many layers. And I Hmm. just can't really talk about my experiences with visualizations. And the first step is about bringing out the ideas and bringing them to paper which means that I'm taking time, I'm taking time to think, to reflect, and thinking about the connections and kind of a not linear, but kind of a dynamic way. Hello and welcome to Bringing Design Closer on This Is 8CD. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm the founder of This Is 8CD. I'm a designer, educator, design coach and podcaster based in the wonderful city of Dublin, Ireland. Now, Our goal here is to have conversations that inspire and help move the dial forward for organisations to become more human-centred in their approach to solving complex business and societal problems. Now, As many of you know at this stage, I work on these episodes and these podcasts as a labour of love love. I love sharing the work of others and I know many of you enjoy the work that I do too because I see all the wonderful reviews. If you want to help support me and This Is 8CD, maybe you might consider by becoming a patron. It's only, it's under two euros per month. My goal with having this model is to meet the costs to produce everything. We're still miles away from doing so. But if you want to learn more, maybe just check out thisis8cd.com. Now, A number of months ago, I was researching for my keynote that I'm giving in UX Scotland this year, and I stumbled across the work of Superdot Studio in Switzerland. And I was blown away by all the amazing work that they have on their website. And I was honestly so thrilled, I was so happy to see that they were in the process of publishing their book titled Visualizing Complexity, a Modular Information Handbook. I purchased it and from the moment it arrived on my desk and I'm not joking when I say this it has never been too far away from my hands feels just absolutely beautiful to hold it in your hands it's really really it's a rich texture on the book I show it to many people on my zoom calls every single day and I've showed it on many of the trainings that I've given over the last number of weeks I've recommended it to many of my peers why because I just believe that this book is absolutely beautiful and it should be something that I think many of you will be interested in now I feel so lucky to have this podcast as it allows me to reach out to people that I truly respect and connect with them over a conversation and I did just that with this book and this episode I connected with Darian and we had an amazing conversation now we explored the process that both he and his partner Nicole follow when visualizing complexity now one of the things that struck me most from this conversation was just how analog the process of brilliance is a lot of what I took away from this conversation was just how much space and air that Darian and Nicole leave in their work to let things sit to reflect and include elements of structured exploration before arriving on a visual language and approach to their work. 
too often I find we, and I include myself in this folks, have tools in place and in mind when we are researching that we always fall back to. As in, many of us know that we'll fall into that category of like, well, we'll be creating a journey map or a blueprint as we know that this worked on X projects before. This isn't what you'll hear in this conversation. We talk about the process deeply, how they move from chaos to simplicity. It's a fantastic episode and I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into it. Darian, a very warm welcome to, to This Is 8 City. I'm delighted to have you on the show. Um, we were just chatting there, having the, the crack, as we say in Ireland, about uh, everything to do with the wonderful book that I managed to get my hands on a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, I bought it. I actually bought it myself. I saw it and I was like, ah, oh, this is one that I need to have. But um, Darian Hill, very warm welcome anyway, but let's start off and, and tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, okay. Um, about myself. So I would say I was born in a country which doesn't exist anymore, which is um, former Yugoslavia. Okay. And uh, grew up in Vienna and uh, finished my master's, my first master in business informatics and worked for IBM and uh, had a great job as a student to write um, the, the meeting, the, the decisions of the meetings, which were, you can imagine, quite boring. And um, we had the development team, which was in uh, another a different country, which was kind mm. of different culture. And uh, then I realized that my communication skills were not really good uh, because the things that the developers were programming were not the ones what the client wanted. So mm -hmm. actually, that was my entry point to visualizations. That I, I, I just realized it's much easier to write down the requirements uh, and draw them just with some lines and boxes and sketches. Yeah. Um, and there was anyways, always this magical moment that as soon as something is kind of externalized and put to paper, it gets kind of clear and people start to communicate more about the thing. And, yeah. um, and then I started scanning my sketches. Uh, they were not good but I, they were just sketches. And uh, somehow the whole cycle of kind of the, the loops of uh, bug fixing were a little more, uh, smaller. And um, mm -hmm. that made me think that I should maybe study or kind of, I was actually think, asking myself, why are we not taught in any kind of study program, business, informatics, history, why are mm -hmm. we not taught, why do we not learn to draw, to express yeah. ourselves? And uh, yeah, somehow that made me afterwards, I landed in Switzerland. I worked for a bank, but I still were, was always thinking about this moment of drawing. And um, mm -hmm. somehow this graphic facilitation and graphic recording was not the thing I really, aesthetically, I didn't like that. Yeah. So I applied to study again, and that's how I they um, accepted me at the University of uh, Design and uh, Arts in Basel mm -hmm. with this long tradition of Swiss design and typography. Yeah. 
and uh, I had the honor to study and to do a master's and that's where Nicole and me met and from that moment on we started doing everything and working in the direction of information design. Yeah, and like the book that you've created for anyone who hasn't uh, looked at the show notes yet is Visualizing Complexity. It's a modular information design handbook. Um, and one of the things that when I, whenever I opened up the package and I held it in my hands, I went, this, this is not an ordinary book. Um, you can get books out there, you know, many books in Book Depository or Amazon and you open up, it just doesn't feel the same as this book. This book is like it feels very, very, I want to use the word sensual, but it feels just really rich and very well thought out. And when anyone anyone buys it and they hold it in their hands, they should see the the craft that has gone into this. It's just a stunning book. Uh, And not just stunning in terms of it looks beautiful, but the content, the way it's structured is really, really well done. So I know um, Nicole Lachenmeyer, who is the other part of Superdot Studio in Basel. Um, it's a beautiful book. And I feel like I do know you a little bit when you were telling that story there a little bit, like a good visualization at the back of the book, it shows the timelines of how everything is all connected and how you guys met and studied together and formed Superdot. So what what is it about visualization that you feel that the brain can interpret that information what's easier um in terms of the, the kind of the psycho nature behind it what is it about the the person who draws it and gets it on paper they feel like they the the increased capacity of understanding the problem um do you have any thoughts on what it is about the human mind that just drawing allows us to understand things a little bit deeper yeah i can just yeah i think it's a really nice question because it has so many layers and I mm. just can't really talk about my experiences with visualizations. Yeah, yeah. And there, the first step is about bringing out the ideas and bringing them to paper, which means that I'm taking time. I'm taking time to think, to reflect and thinking about the connections and kind of a not linear, but kind of a dynamic way, how things are connected. So that's kind of like a yoga, like a step of Mm -hmm. meditation and bringing that to paper. So that's the first step of slowing down. And that's why actually I always talk about or kind of the way way we work and also maybe the story behind this book. Every Mm -hmm. page that you see in your hand has been done by hand. So all these 200 pages and all the examples and every little piece has been drawn either by Nicole or by me in Mm. a lot of iterations. So we have around 800 pages from these 200 pages in our cupboard. Um, So that was, I would say that's the first quality of making sketches and drawing and kind of making variations. The second step mm-hmm. is that making a variation, which means that as soon as you have the first sketch, you have an idea for the second one. And as soon yeah. as you have the second and the third, you realize you under- start understanding the the, the, the the content you are sketching. So kind of mm-hmm. it, like the stupid, stupid kind of case is that you say, if you start drawing one flower, the first drawing of the flower will be the obvious one. 
The second, you will maybe see some highlights of light. The third one, you will see shadows. The fourth one, so you every time you will understand something more about the flower. So kind of yeah. redrawing your understanding is bigger. And then on the other hand, what every designer knows is as soon as you have a sketch, somehow people dare to give their opinion. Normally, yeah. if something is in text or something is hidden in text or hidden in a database or whatever, people normally say, yeah, yeah, that's okay for me. Kind of, I don't understand coding or something anyway, so it's good for me. As soon yeah. as it gets visual, people have an opinion, which is not always easy for designers kind of to deal with that opinion <laughs> to like, okay, yeah, um, and uh, sometimes these opinions are going to the direction that they say, I like it or I don't like it. You're like, mm, okay, it's not about liking, but okay. Mm. So I think there is this human nature um, which is coming into the game as soon as you have drawn something that people then have an opinion and uh, they, they, they have a connection to it. Yeah. There's a really interesting quote, which I have in one of my courses, which I've just brought up by William Playfair. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know William Playfair, the, the, yeah. the creator of the, the bar chart and the line chart and the pie chart. And the quote is, tables are by no means a good form of conveying information. Making an appeal to the eye when proposition and magnitude are concerned is the best and readiest method of conveying a distinct idea. And it's, you know, people kind of go, oh, that's, that's a relatively, you know, recent thought, but that was from the 1890s. Mm -hmm. So when, when you think about how, how long we've been talking about this thing about making um, visual elements of complex systems, it's been around for centuries at this stage. Um, so the, the, the type of illustrations that most people um, listening to this podcast will be familiar will be things like journey maps and service blueprints and um, just research structures, you know, affinity mapping and so forth. But in your book, one of the things that struck me was the sequencing and how you go about making complexity um, a little bit easier to manage and visualize. Um, are you able to talk a little bit more around your process on how you approach complex um, systems and visualize, visualizing those? Mm -hmm. I would just kind of, I would answer it very fast with one word, with an open mind. Okay. Uh, so we approach complex with an open mind, which in the end, which means that, and also what we were trying, I mean, we, we were discussing a lot if we should make a book at all. Um, mm. What was the resistance behind that, Tarion? Why, why would there you second There's so many guess? books, you know? There's so many books. There's so mm. many good books. And they, yeah. they are books from Edward Tufty. They're old books. They're kind of old masters, which are yeah. like more than 100 years old. Um, yeah. You just have to look into the books and you're like, okay, this is amazing. So we were really, I mean, we are, we are a couple and we start to discuss and we are very critical on each other. So I said, okay, we should do a book. And Nico was saying, no, we should not do a book. Who, who gives us kind of credit to do a book? So we were, that was the first point. But then there was this moment where we said, actually, and that's coming to the complexity. 
there is no book or we don't know a book which is so there are many books which are giving you advices with do's and don'ts so this yeah. if you have this do that if you have that do. this is the right uh, chart type for this problem this is the right solution if you have that one yeah but actually um, what we learned in school and the way our kind of mind at least works in our studio is that there is no right and wrong. So, um, or let's say there is no general, for, for in our philosophy, there is no general, um, how would you say, rule. Because yeah. sometimes people say red is an alarm color. I mean, tell that to the UBS. Their corporate color is red. Their logo is red from the bank. So you have to work with red. Um, so I would say our kind of really intention was that we said we want to show the beauty of experimentation. We want to bring down the recipe of making visualization to really the little pieces. And we don't say which one is to be used in a certain situation. We say, mm -hmm. make your own experience. Try it out. Show it to your friends, show it to somebody, and let them judge if they can read it. Let them observe them if it's yeah. interesting. So that's actually the general approach and the process behind the whole thing. So it's iterative is what you're saying, like that whole process of putting it in front of people and seeing if it makes sense. And Is that right? Yeah. Is, that, is that your approach? And so, playful. So and what and is playful. the fun? The fun factor is somehow really important. Yeah, it's um, the bit that really kind of struck me around the book was the the narrative that goes through it is the family. Okay, this this family. Um, of, do you want to talk to us about where this family came from, and give us the origins? Because when I was, it's it's in some at the start of the book, you you do say it's not meant to be read from front to back. Okay, it's it's more of a reference piece. But then when you start mentioning the family, I start to feel somewhat kind of interested in, in this family. And I was like, well, I'm going to keep reading to see where, how, how they've evolved over the generations. So um, I did find myself reading chapters. Um, so maybe talk to us a little bit more around where that came from, okay? Because yeah. it's a really nice anchor point in a book. Um, that's what I'm saying. It's not a case of this is a map. This is how we did it. It's it is a step by step process of how you actually um, uh, sort of attributed the the data, the raw data, and mm -hmm. took it forward. So maybe talk to us a little bit more around yeah. the origins of that whole kind of thought process. Yeah. So the origin of that um, is that um, we started with the book with mm. uh, in the Swiss mountains. We said, okay, let's just kind of hide for four weeks and think about what is the book about. Sounds very and, idyllic. Yeah, and um, and you have to know that Nicole is a perfectionist when it comes to design. So she feel, she, yeah, really, yeah. she she thinks about everything. We call her we call her sometimes that our typography police. It's a kind of really goes <laughs> in everything. And I'm the perfectionist when it comes to content and kind of to 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 the to the okay. red thread which goes from the beginning to the end. And right. um, for me, I, w so, I mean, Nicole and we were teaching information designs since years. 
and we always have the problem that students which are in their bachelor years, like first year, second year bachelors, that they are struggling with abstract data to translate the data, let's say yeah. about forests and the density of a forest and uh, in uh, the volume of the forest, that they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're having difficult times to translate that number into a mental image into afterwards a visualization. And there are books, you will find books which take in every chapter or in every visualization, they take different data types. So kind of you, a, a different data set. So kind of the one graph is working with climate, the other graph is working with, I don't know, population and so on. So every time you read that book, you have to first start thinking about that data set and think, okay, what does it mean, climate? And then you have to, you have to decode the first the data yeah. and the image and then start understanding it. So I said to Nicole, when we were uh, hiking in the mountains, I said, it would be really cool to find that one universal data set that every human being knows. And then we were thinking about a lot of things. And at some point I just said, okay, everybody has a family. Yeah. Every human has age. Every human was born somewhere. Every human died somewhere. And mm. every human has a gender. And then we started kind of constructing and deciding on one data set uh, that could go over the whole book. Mm. And and then we needed, and then we started kind of designing that family based yeah. on really statistics. So actually, I looked up the statistics of the past century. I looked up what is the most frequent name in the British or kind of the English speaking okay. area and the one from the German. So actually, I took the names, it's kind of the statistics behind. And then that's how actually the whole family data set. Ah, is. very cool. Yeah. Now, now, one of the things that I sometimes find myself falling into the trap of if I'm researching and I'm, I've kind of gone through the, the data set and I'm trying to pull out the key quotes and, you know, the, the things that are wrong with the service or things that are going well with the service. It almost like, it feels like, okay, well, I know at some point I'm probably going to do a journey map and I'm going to do maybe a blueprint and I, I might do, I fall into the habit of using the same kind of templates the same structures to visualize the the data what struck me about this book in particular and i don't mean to become a salesman but i just keep on talking about how beautiful this book is but do you have a set a really broad set of templates that you sometimes fall back into and do you have names for those sets and if so where do you get them from how can i increase and how can our listeners increase the visual language that we're using to um, to visualize the complexity that we find ourselves researching in. Yeah, I think it's somehow that that question going is going a little bit into breaking the patterns that people kind of create, mm -hmm. um, or maybe I misunderstood the question. But I I what I would understand is that yes when people see graphs and when they see possible solutions or if they see time, let's say the, that mm. there is data with time, uh, that you will Im immediately think about the timeline. 
And yeah. uh, if you think about that, there, if there is data about cities, you will immediately think about a world map. Yeah. Even though you know that kind of as soon as you start putting your pins on a world map and you are talking about Switzerland, uh, the density of the pins will be very high compared to Russia, which has a very big surface on your paper. Yeah. Um, and basically what we try and also what we try to do with the students is the first sketches they create is the things they know and the things they frequently use. Mm. And then we ask them to break that pattern to say, okay, do you have some other ideas? Yeah. What would happen if you kind of, you would not be allowed to use a map at all for, for mapping, mm. for kind of cartography? How would that map look like? So kind yeah. of, and then looking, and then why we did this is to say, there are so many things. So kind of, there are so many yeah. possibilities. Think about these little pieces, the elements, and how can you combine them in a crazy way? Risk it, risk something new and see if it works. Yeah. Well, what I'm hearing there is there's, you're treating every data set as a unique opportunity to visualize it. Whereas for people like myself and service designers, we kind of have a suite of tools that we we tap into, much like business people love to use pie charts and um, line graphs and so so forth but what your approach is and if i'm understanding this correctly yourself and nicole in particular is it's pen and paper and it's back to grassroots in terms of how we approach what is the best way to visualize this versus the um the, the kind of off the shelf and then interpret it and i think that speed to visualize is something that came through in the book the speed to visualize complexity and the the kind of export functionality that we have in software is doing us a disservice because it's not actually providing us with the richest opportunity to visualize what's actually happening. Am I speaking out of line here? Is that is that yeah, kind of? Yeah. I agree. That, I completely agree. I'm seeing. Yeah. yeah. So so in that, what what are the skills that you teach? um in information design then because people like myself would really love to learn how you got from say when you were working at ibm and you were you know kind of visualizing those meetings what are the things and if maybe you could have a, a five a list of five things that you'd look for in um what would make a really good information designer first a tidied clean well-structured table Okay, let's talk about that one, okay? Because that's everyone. Everyone is leaning in to their car as they're driving. They're like a clean table. I'm, now you're not talking about a kitchen table. We're talking about a table of data, okay? Exactly. exactly. That would go if you take that one from very face on. You know, the quality of the research is impacted. Like if you've got a really bad process about uh, you know creating the data, you're going to get a really crappy uh, table in the end. So how how do you work to ensure that you've got a really quality high quality data set in your table so um there is actually no project where we do not have to reorganize and clean the data that we get so kind of we get them but then kind of we have to the first thing is 
what people probably everybody knows is that you go in Microsoft Excel or something and then yeah. you kind of throw away all the formatting, kind of all the yellows and the blues and mm -hmm. the uh, and the font sizes and just bring them what to kind of this uh, raw format. And then observing kind of what dimensions are kind of what columns and what rows you have and if that makes sense and how are they actually nested that kind of kind of in what way uh, and if it makes sense and actually we very often send the 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 spreadsheet kind of the, the the excel sheet we send it back to our client and say please there are a lot of gaps could you please again go over your data uh, we highlighted for you the kind of the, our questions and in the end, we need one or two rounds of data cleaning and also content-wise cleaning because at that moment, we ask ourselves, okay, what are possible perspectives we can take to make that visualization? Um, so mm. that that for sure is, that's actually the, the yellow chapter of the book where, yeah. where I put a lot of effort in kind of explaining that data is not only data so kind of data are perspectives mm -hmm. on your i i said it's this kind of cube and kind yeah. of what perspective do you have towards that cube so in the say you've got a really clean table you've got an opportunity then to weave a narrative through that that table like you, the patterns that you're starting to observe who is best placed to design or define those narratives? Does that come from the client or does that come from yourself? Because you know, and I know there's many ways to interpret the data yeah. set depending yeah. on the objectives. So once we observe, let's say different angles of storytelling, mm. we bring them in very raw sketches to paper. And then okay. with these sketches, we go to the client. We call that the clarification meeting. So we go to yeah. clarify the kind of the content. Yeah. And the reason we do that really on paper is it's, it looks and it has, has to have that feeling of work in progress. Yeah. Because if it's, if it's still in Excel, people talk about that one, the functional side. If it's done already and put into a template, a perfect looking graph template, mm -hmm. even though you you can tell hundred times to your client, no, 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 it's work in progress. We are still in working, but it looks too good. That's why we really, it has to look uh, like a hand-drawn yeah. sketch so that in, we can talk about really the story we want to kind of tell yeah. together with the client. So in in that sense there's there's probably qu quite a lot of bias that could be brought into that because the the client looks at it and goes listen we're not that corrupt um mm. we're trying to we're trying to reform ourselves so that's not the story we want to tell so there's always <laughs> yeah, i'm true. looking at exxon and uh, all the oil companies like no we really do care about fossil fuel um, or we don't care about fossil fuel, should I say? But yeah, so so you're at that point. You keep it low fidelity. I love that. Okay, right. So we've covered off the the high quality table is is one of the things that Darian is like. He can put his head in his pillow when he's going to sleep tonight, and he's going, okay, tomorrow's going to be a good day. The table is clean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what's the second thing that you think that would make a really good information designer? 
Um, so the ability to have a good clean table, number one, what would the second thing be, Darian? I would say to be brave enough, um, even though of time pressure, because a lot of times you have time pressure. So the reason people tend to maybe go very fast to work on the computer and or to use templates is because you have time pressure or budget pressure. Yeah. So making a cup of a good cup of coffee, sitting yeah. down, mm-hmm. giving yourself two hours of time, listening to music and starting to think about possible solutions and drawings and going, being brave enough to go into something completely maybe crazy or which doesn't make sense. And then yeah. by having different variations, then you can see, okay, this is the one extreme side which will probably not work. And the other one is kind of the obvious side everybody knows. And yeah. where is on that scale, where are the other ones and what are the benefits of it? So kind of yeah. looking at what you have and the for us, it's very important to lay out all the sketches next to each other. So we have big walls and um, we put them all always, the whole history, the whole process is on the wall because then automatically you start seeing patterns. Kind of, If yeah. you look at one thing at, at the time alone, you are just at that one problem. If you have a lot of problems next to each other, then you are not yeah. afraid anymore. Yeah. Um, so bravery, bravery is probably what we call that, like bra- brave to block out time to explore, um, yeah. and then brave to give your time to absorb and, um, and, and really connect and see, um, can you think of the third one? If we were going to say, well, we'll do, I know I said five, but we'll do three. Okay. So the t- clean table, bravery being the second one, what would the third one be? Um, probably at that point comes kind of after the bravery comes um, you should probably curiosity because at that point you will be like hmm, I think I discovered something maybe I need to research more so kind of, there is that step of curiosity ah. and, and looking kind of does it really make sense can it be that that simple solution would solve the problem um, yeah. I love that and I think that's, that's the turning point and then you have to sell it to your client Mm. yeah (laughs) they have to like it you have to approve it and say okay that's it yeah and then comes the next the yeah the kind of realizations again yeah so how often would you be in in a situation when you're um when you're doing this you might have to go back to research and conduct more research to to get a better outcome that iterate iterative process would you go right back to square one in terms of alternate research methods and stuff yeah going back to going back to zero actually never happens kind of to to, to square one but um, because every time i always tend to say that kind of in the beginning if you start working with a data set or kind of a strategy or concept from a company Hmm. uh, you have very little knowledge and you just see kind of that problem and by mm. working and researching your understanding actually of the whole problem i would say kind of the 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 
the closer you are to the solution or kind of the more you know about the solution, the more you know about your problem. Because actually mm. just when the, when the project is finished, then you will be able to say, ah, now I can tell you what that kind of the big challenge of in this project was. But you can yeah. tell it just actually in the end. You, it's it's going to be very difficult to really say it in the beginning. Because you're a lot closer to it. You've examined it, you've explored, and you've done you know, 20, 30, 40,000 micro decisions to, to get to that point. And yeah, that's the whole beauty of, I guess, prototyping. You're spending a lot of time in prototyping and that hand-to-mind connection is, is so rich. Um, I have a question for you there. Um, with the book title, it's visualizing complexity. Why complexity and why why not say visualizing data? What was it about the word complexity that you know made you include it in the title? Because because we don't even have then that many data visualizations projects mm-hmm. in in our field. So actually. Yeah. 50% of our project is about, can you visualize uh, this concept? Can you visualize this it's strategy? It's, yeah. it's text. So yeah. um, bringing it down just to numbers would have not covered the whole field. Yeah, It's more like it can be text and out of text, you have to find a way to explain the text or the concept or the strategy or whatever. Hmm. Or it's in the numbers, so you're explaining and making data visualization. But in both cases, it has to do something with complexity. So yeah. that's why we said it's visualizing complexity. I love it. Um, there's another thing that I wanted to ask you a little bit more around. Was Number one was obviously the, the, the clean table, as you'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about AI and the ability to to generate visualizations on the fly um, and people leaning into it in, in a big way to, to hope to answer all the world's problems. What, what are your thoughts about that and its interconnectedness with the clean table? I would say to these people, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> oh, I mean, I see, I see that. I see this enormous acceleration and um, I, I, that, um combinations which have not been there in very little time and hmm. taking all the resources in the internet and combining them into a new fusion of something hmm. i see that um i think we have to find a way that our daily work has a compo- so that's why I said maybe before brave. We yeah. have to be brave enough yeah. to resist to the pressure of our client or to find a way, even in the most boring content and data set, to have fun with that and yeah. to take time to work with that, to find an interesting angle. And that kind of is is a very good feeling, like a body feeling after a day that you created 20 different drawings and sketches. Mm-hmm. And that makes and that makes you think, and that kind of brings this s- slow kind of, it's not really slow, but kind of, let's say this uh, slow work uh, brings you to reflect 
kind of gives you time to think, does it really make sense what we are doing here? So yeah. that, that brings you to that kind of crucial questions where at some point maybe you really have that simple, simple graph where people are like, mm. why did you need three months to make that graph? Exactly. Uh, because uh, with chat GPT or something, I can do that in three seconds. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. But the, it's also about me, my process, and it's yeah. also about having a reason to live, having a reason to work. Yeah. And if we uh, externalize everything to others, then we don't have anything. So that's why I would say, um, I, still, I still believe that we will come up with much better solutions if we have time to think. Yeah, absolutely. Darian, I could speak to you for about five or six hours uh, nonstop about this stuff, but you know, we, 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 we want to try and wrap up the, the conversation within 40 minutes on This Is Hate City, just people I know, they, they like the, the, the short synopsis of what we're trying to do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put a link to Super.Studio, your studio in, in Basel, uh, into the show notes of this episode as well. I'll put a link to the book as well. If possible, folks, if you're going to buy the book, buy it from Super.Studio. Don't buy it from um, that uh, big book company. I can't remember what it's called. It's like after a forest or something. I can't remember. My mind's gone blank. I'm only joking. Buy direct from the authors if you can possibly do that. Um, but Darren, if people want to reach out to you, um, what's the best way for people to to get in touch with you? Easy. I'm actually answering a lot of uh, emails and social media things. I'm trying to be very kind of 24-hour answer type. So, yeah, there is a, on the website, there is an email um, or over social media or anything. So just kind of, you will find me. I will answer. LinkedIn, yeah, absolutely. We'll put, a, we'll put a link to your LinkedIn anyway. But Darian, listen, look, thank you so much for your time. Let me grill you about the book. Best of luck with it and also to Nicole as well. Stay in touch. Um, big fans of you over here at This Is Eight Today. Thank you. There you go, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you enjoyed it and want to listen to more, why not visit thisishcd.com where you can learn more about what we're up to and also explore our courses whilst you're there. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.